0: David was having one of the best days of his life. Uh, This day for David was right up there with the day that he killed Goliath, right up there with the day that he was anointed king of Israel. And before this greatest day of his life, there had been a number of wonderful things that had happened all in succession. Uh, God had given David and his troops victory over the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines were a ruthless neighboring nation, uh, violent people that were attacking God's people, and they had attacked them, and they'd actually taken away the ark of the Lord, uh, God's presence among his people, and the Philistines had stolen it away. But God gave David victory. He had victory over them, and he actually brought back the ark of the Lord back to Jerusalem. And David was so excited, so filled with joy that he was leaping and dancing in the streets of Jerusalem, dancing before the Lord with excitement, and then riding this emotional wave. David then goes to Nathan the prophet, and he tells Nathan, I have an idea, I have a plan. He says, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. See, the Ark of the Lord, uh, from the time of their wilderness wanderings up until this point, was housed in a tent, a tabernacle. Uh, God's presence amongst his people was in a tent that they would uh, put down and take up depending on where they were going. And David saw this as a problem. He said, I live in a house of cedar, an established place. But God, his presence among his people is in a tent. Said, this isn't right. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to build a permanent structure, a temple, a house for the Lord. And that very night, the word of God comes to Nathan the prophet and confirms David's plans. God says this to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. So God confirms David's plans to build this house for the Lord. But then God does him one better. He takes it even further. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. See, David thought that he was going to build a house for the Lord. And God says, How about this? How about I build you a house forever? Uh, David had these, these plans, and God just blew them out of the water way better than he could have imagined, way bigger, way greater than David could have ever conceived. This is a good day for him. This is a great day for David. And because of that, he takes courage and he comes into the house of the Lord and he prays to God. He says this, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God. Your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. See, on one of the greatest days of his life, when God promised him blessings upon blessings, when God promised to him, I'm going to build your kingdom now and forever. David yielded to God's plans. He came to God, yielded to his plans, and he prayed, You are God, your words are true, you have promised this good thing. Jesus was on the verge of the worst day of his life. The worst day, the the hardest day, the day of the greatest challenges he would ever face. Uh, This day that's about to happen for Jesus was going to make all other challenges and struggles seem like nothing. Forty days in the wilderness going toe-to-toe with Satan was going to be eclipsed by what was soon going to happen next for Jesus. Uh, The threats and the hints at arrest and death were soon going to become plans for arrest, plans for death. A reality as he's hanging on the cross. And this verge of the worst day of his life had a number of events before it that made this the hardest week of his life. We call it Passion Week, a week of suffering for Jesus. One after another, challenging events. A Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, a day that we we often think of pomp and celebration. Uh, There's waving palm branches. There's people shouting Hosanna, putting their cloaks on the road. And it was a day of celebration, but it was also a day in which Jesus realized what was coming. He knew the plans that were being enacted. He knew what was on the horizon. And right after coming into Jerusalem, Jesus gathers his disciples around him, and he says to them, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And after Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he begins teaching, teaching his followers. He teaches them in parables. But as he's teaching, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are are leaning in. And they're listening to everything he says, trying to find something, some way they can trip him up, some way they can use his words against him to arrest him. Matthew 21, we hear this, and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Matthew 22, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. But Jesus knew what was coming. This was no surprise to him. He knew how it was going to unfold. And he tells his disciples what's happening next. Matthew 26, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. And as if that's not enough, as if one by one by one, as if that's not enough, Jesus then gathers with his disciples in an upper room what should be a celebration, the Passover meal. It's supposed to be a joyous time, but instead, Jesus tells them this. Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. It looks like it's coming unraveled. It looks like it's all coming apart at the seams. This, this life and this ministry of Jesus is just being torn apart. But in fact, it's the opposite. God's plan of salvation is being woven together in these final days, these final moments of Jesus' life. It's coming together perfectly. From the beginning, God knew that he was going to send an offspring of Eve to crush the head of Satan. From the beginning, God knew that he was going to send a suffering servant to be wounded for our transgressions. From the beginning, God knew that by his wounds, we would be healed. From the beginning, God knew that there was going to be a sacrifice and that he was going to make that sacrifice. And like a sheep, he would be led to slaughter. God knew this. And Jesus, God in human flesh, knows what's coming. He senses it. He feels it. He knows it. And because of that, he takes his disciples to Gethsemane. He takes them with him to Gethsemane and prays. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. On the worst day of his life, In the midst of the hardest, most challenging week of his life. Ahead of the time when he's going to take my sins, your sins, the sins of the world, and take them to the cross, Jesus yields to God's plan. And he prays, let your will be done. Jesus told his disciples to remain awake. To be vigilant, to be watchful. They didn't. They fell asleep. So he came to them again and he reminded them be awake, be vigilant, be watchful. And then he leaves and he goes off to pray. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Uh, This cup that Jesus is referring to, this cup is the the cup of God's wrath against sin. Uh, God's righteous wrath against our rebellion, our brokenness, our sinfulness. And this cup is soon going to be poured out on Jesus as he pours out his sins or his blood on the cross. And Jesus says, let this cup pass, but if not, let your will be done. He's yielding to God's plan saying, I will drink it. I will take this cup of wrath. And then he comes back to his disciples. After praying twice now, he comes back to his disciples and he finds them sleeping again. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Once, twice, three times now, Jesus prays, your will be done. And we saw David pray pretty much the same prayer, right? David prayed, God, let your will be done. Let these things happen as you've said they would happen. But David prays that prayer on the best day, on a day when God has said, I'm going to give you blessings, abundant blessings. And your house and your kingdom, they're going to go forever. And David says, yes, please, let your will be done. Let this good thing happen. But Jesus, on the worst day, on the hardest day, prays that same prayer, let your will be done. As he's facing suffering, as he's facing pain, as he's facing the full weight of the Roman Empire, the Jewish religious leaders all coming down on him, He prays that prayer. He yields to God's will. Even though he knows that means he's going to the cross. Even though that means he knows he's going to die. But that's who Jesus is. Unwavering, unflinching, unwilling to deviate one way or another from God's will. He was willing to take that cup of wrath. He was willing to go wherever he had to go, do whatever he had to do to reclaim you and me and all of God's people. And in doing so, in praying that prayer and yielding to what God had in mind for him, he took the worst thing, the absolute worst thing, the cross. He took the worst thing, death, and he turned it into our best thing, salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, peace with our Creator. He took the absolute worst and He turned it into your very best. That's who He is. And because of Christ Jesus, because of what He's done, we hear these words, Philippians chapter 4, we get to pray these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Because of Christ Jesus, because he yielded to God's plan, because he drank that cup for you and for me, we get to rejoice in the Lord on sunshiny days, on the best days, when things are going well, when God's blessings are filling our life. But because of Christ Jesus, because he's taken the worst things and given us the very best, we get to rejoice in the Lord on the worst days. When suffering and pain and hardship and death are all around you. And because of Christ Jesus, because he's yielded to God's plan, because he didn't choose his will but God's will, because of that, we get to rejoice in the Lord today, tomorrow, for all eternity. This is most certainly true. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, to life everlasting. Amen.